Hey, cold open this week as I have two things I need to tell you. First, Ring at Alberta is continually working on resources for coaches, and in the next few months, we are going to be posting a lot on social media about injury prevention, nutrition, and mental health. Think of this episode as an intro to those areas specific to the female athlete, and keep your eyes open for new information and resources. Secondly, an apology for the sound quality on this episode. I thought we'd found a good quiet room to record, but there's a strange banging sound every so often. I think they were fixing something in the ceiling, and then we had a microphone malfunction or two. At any rate, thanks for listening. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to the fifth episode of Let's Talk Ringette. I'm your host, Robin Gillespie. In the next few months, Ringette Alberta will be producing and promoting resources about injuries, psychosocial health, and nutrition to help equip our coaches and parents to help our athletes. Today, I've brought in an expert to give us an overview on injuries specific to female athletes and to talk about how we can keep girls in sport. I'm happy to have Dr. Vicki Harbour with me today. Dr. Harbour is a leading researcher and speaker on women and girls in sport and athlete development. She is an LTAD expert with the Sport for Life Management Group and is a professor emeritus at the University of Alberta in what is now called the Faculty of Kinesiology, Sport and Recreation. And she actually taught one of my first physiology classes. Vicki, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Rob. It's great to be here. <laughs> uh, one of the reasons I asked you to join me today is you host a workshop called Coaching the Female Athlete. And in one section of the workshop, you talk about why girls quit sports. My first question is, what age do we start to see a significant drop-off in participation? The drop-off can actually start, I would say, any time after the age of 10. Um, and I would say the dropout rate will peak in and around 14, 15, 16. And perhaps even more alarming than the dropout rate are the growing number of girls that never even start to dip their toe into sport. Wow. Um, some of the, the issues around not even given that chance, that opportunity to uh, get a taste or a chance to try a sport. And what are some of those reasons that people either might not start sport or why they quit sport? These reasons cut across for both boys and girls. Mm-hmm. Um, they would have but in general, there, there's four different reasons. One is that sport is starting to take too much time. Mm-hmm. When you think about kids who are coming from, uh, if they've got other brothers and sisters in the family, a lot of times sport is starting to cost too much money. There is a growing number of injuries. In fact, they have a whole new uh, bracket of pediatric sport medicine due to the injuries that we're finding in kids that typically only start to emerge when they're adults. Right, that was things particularly pronounced in baseball. I read a study about Tommy John surgery on preteens. Exactly, exactly. And uh, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get to a, a, a point in our conversation about what happens with girls mm-hmm. and what are those injuries. And then this last one is around uh, kids just start to report a lack of fun. And now fun is, is tricky to define. What fun means to each and every one of us is going to be slightly different, mm-hmm. but uh, thankfully, we start. We've got much better indication as to you know what what does fun mean mm-hmm. for a young child in sport. So those are the four big reasons. Yeah. So the reason for quitting that seems not necessarily most preventable, but something that uh, Ring Out Alberta can really step in at this point is that injury piece. In your workshop, you talk about sort of three categories of injury. Um, could you just list what those are? 
Yeah, um, this was something that the, the way in which I was trying to describe injuries, I, mm-hmm. I wanted to intentionally leverage the word injury because I mm-hmm. think regardless of where we come from, we have an appreciation of an injury not being a good thing. Mm-hmm. And my goodness, if we know what causes it, we'll do everything in our power to prevent it. So based on that, there were three different categories of injury. And the first one uh, I called mechanical, mm-hmm. and those were a series of musculoskeletal type injuries to more of the, uh, the hardware of the body, so to ligaments, um, in particular around the knee, that anterior cruciate ligament was a big one, mm-hmm. uh, of a non-impact, so these would be injuries that occur simply conducting the duties of a game. And so that uh, one really hit uh, the scientific literature in a, in a way which shocked people. And these ACL injuries were simply coming down, decelerating out of a fast-paced sprint. They could be coming from a, a, a strong pivot in one direction or the other, or coming down out of a bit of a jump. So these were um, catastrophic injuries occurring three to eight-fold higher in girls and young women compared to their male counterparts. The other area of of injury that was also happening in a higher level in incidence in girls compared to boys was around uh, shoulder injuries. And so sports that required some type of upper body support, throwing and so on, or of higher level. And we don't have the same kinds of numbers accumulated of of the shoulder injuries Mm -hmm. compared to knee. And then the last one is around concussions. And that too is an emerging body of literature where Right now, the, the, the best evidence we have suggests that concussions are happening more frequently in girls and women. And that, I think, is, is still, uh, I would say, be cautious with, with landing firmly on that. It's still, perhaps, our girls reporting mm-hmm. uh, differently than boys and the, the fallout of that. But certainly what the literature is falling on is with concussions is a longer recovery time. Mm-hmm. So those become the mechanical injuries. Right. What is the stat that girls are three to eight times more likely yeah. to tear their ACL? Exactly. And that's when we match, when they're playing exactly the same sport at exactly the same competition level. Yeah. Do we know why they're more susceptible to ACL injuries? Uh, there are, there's a, a cluster of intrinsic, like mm-hmm. unto themselves reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, those are more due to the anatomy. Mm-hmm. And so there's this little groove that the, the ligament, well, there's the, that little ACL notch is different in mm-hmm. the female skeleton compared to the male skeleton. Uh, there are differences in, uh, in musculature. There are differences in hormones. So those become intrinsic, which are pretty tough to change. Yeah. And then there's this other cluster of more modifiable extrinsic factors, which have to do with uh, the terrain that they're tra- they're training on, footwear, uh, the nature of the activity, uh, how the activity is conducted, and one that they landed on, which has been an absolute gem, which has been turning a really bad set of news into a good set of news, mm-hmm. is around this neuromuscular training. Mm-hmm. So pieces not only around quadriceps, hamstring strength, but also uh, agility, balance. Uh, learning how to land properly, placement of, of knee over toe, and so on. And hence, when researchers started to peel back the layers around understanding what the 
tech is underlying this devastating injury. They started to pull apart all of these different factors and go, well, we really can't do much about these factors over here. Here's a set of factors. Let's start seeing what we can play with. And these neuromuscular training programs now that have emerged, some of the greatest contributions have come out of Norway. There's mm -hmm. Sports Science School. There's a group out of Cincinnati. There's another group out of California. But what they've done is they've created a package of these neuromuscular training programs that can be integrated to correct for, uh, remediate, so to speak, some of the deficits or pieces that girls can learn from around how to land, how to, how to be appropriately balanced, and so on. There's a program called, I believe it's called FIFA 11 Plus, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and it the best way I can describe it is it's essentially a warm-up with a series of exercises meant to strengthen those important muscles and kind of work on balance and coordination. And we have that on our website under Coach Resources. Mm -hmm. And we will look for you know, some of those other resources that you just mentioned, and we can provide those as well because those are excellent ways just to incorporate that into your warm-up and mm -hmm. uh, develop those really good habits. Yes, and one other one uh, coming out of this Norwegian group, mm. and it's, a, it's an app that you can put onto your mobile device mm. called Get Set. And that's a free downloadable app which provides little short videos and the appropriate progressions you can pull up on the app, whether or not you're looking at working on a specific body part or on a specific sport. It's a thing of beauty, and the Norwegians, again, have just been brilliant around transferring what they're learning from the science and making it easy for coaches to put into practice. And then the, the second injury is called energetic mm -hmm. and energetic around associating the energy intake in the food and drink that she takes in is, um, is it balanced with her, the cost of her training demands and competition demands? And when that is not in balance, so the energetic intake is not supporting her demands of training and so on, with that imbalance, there's a set of processes that start to suffer within the body. One of which, uh, again, unique to girls, is that her reproductive function, in particular her menstrual cycle, which is an energy-costing kind of process, can suffer. It can become extremely quiet, it can disappear altogether. And as a result of that, there's a missing hormone called estrogen, which when it goes away, not only is the menstrual cycle quiet and gone into hiding, uh, but also estrogen is a big player in building and protecting bone health and strength. So that's, and, and I called that one energetic because and speaking with coaches about menstrual cycles, all of a sudden there's this instant squeamishness <laughs> around, ew, we're not going to talk about that. No. Well, yes, uh, because there are some implications of it. How would you recognize an energetic injury? Because we all feel tired sometimes. So how do you know that it's more of an injury? So the real, um, what, I've, what I've called a navigational beacon mm. to this energetic one, uh, energetic injury, is, uh, is the menstrual cycle. And that now we're talking about girls, average age of onset of, of the menstrual cycle is around 12 to 13 years of age. So that really wouldn't play out for those that are, are younger. Mm -hmm. We know that if a girl has not started to menstruate on her own by the age of 15, mm -hmm. um, 16 at the latest, that's, that's, a, that's a flag. 
So that should be looked at and not simply ignored as, well, she's an active young thing, so that's why. So the menstrual cycle becomes that red flag that we can start to use with girls to be one of those first pieces to empower them to learn about themselves and what kinds of things happen to themselves as they were growing up, continuing to train, what happens with their fueling practices. Now, if the menstrual cycle is disappearing, um, then sometimes that can be a reason to inquire, well, what are your fueling habits? What are the kinds of foods that you are feeding yourself? And we can't automatically jump to the conclusion that she's intentionally not eating properly. That does happen with, with some girls, with a lot of the external social messages around how she's meant to look and so on. Uh, young girls will sometimes adopt some fairly aberrant behaviors around how they eat or not eat. And in that sport athlete world, it becomes such an important piece that she can learn that if she wants to be this athletic machine, I make the analogy of a, sometimes a Formula One car, you know, a high-performance machine, when we think about what are you going to feed that machine? And if you want that machine to serve you well, um, you want to go to the best possible gasoline. And so from an athlete's perspective, what, what, what is your fuel? What do you fill up on? And so it becomes, a uh, again, not only empowering, but in a very supportive kind of way to inform them. Because again, if that menstrual cycle, as she's going through her pubertal growth and development years, the onset of menses is a late occurring. So she might go through a growth spurt, and menses is a later occurring event which takes energy from the body. And so if it's not there, it can become delayed. So it does become that gateway uh, process to have a look at what is going on. And then it becomes an entry point to start discussing about fueling habits, what they're eating in their busy lives, um, how they are eating across the day when they travel and so on. To, to try and approach it either from what are you eating and, and can we find an issue with that mm -hmm. is extremely onerous. Mm -hmm. It's also not feasible really for, uh, for many sport teams, let alone families, to be inquiring on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, what are you eating and is it, a, is it enough? How do we know it's enough? And as you mentioned, there are certainly other outcomes associated when the energy compensation when it's not enough, mm -hmm. yes, there's going to be fatigue. There's probably going to be poor sleep. She will also become more susceptible to injury. She might plateau in some of her training progressions, um, propensity to be getting ill, not getting over illness. So there's a, a whole cluster of things that start to happen. And yet, uh, from an energetic point of view, Sometimes I find athletes and, and even coaches or their families can almost excuse some of those other symptoms by going, well, you're just training really hard. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it's, not a, it's not a black and white issue, but it's, I would say that menstrual cycle often becomes a real line in the sand where you can stand up and take notice. And then it sounds like from a coach and parent perspective, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the best thing they can do in the meantime to prevent these kinds of things is to encourage good eating habits. 
I like that analogy of the car and you're fueling your Formula One car because then it kind of takes away the whole calorie count issue. It's like, no, you need the fuel. This is what you're doing. A car needs fuel just like you need fuel. It kind of breaks that down a little bit, gets through some of the more sticky issues around body image or dieting and that kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. And, and I, and I got to add to that, it, it, girls in Canada in generally, in general, do not have a good relationship with food. Mm-hmm. Um, just my own experience and all the researches, I start to talk to an athlete about her usual dietary intake, and there's this real squirrel factor that goes off, this instant concern, like, oh my goodness, am I being judged for what I'm eating? Am I judged for what I'm not eating? Am I, am I judged for how I look? So there's a lot of those social implications that if we can become a a positive advocate for quality fueling in our youngest of athletes. My goodness, even even with four, five, and six-year-olds, we can start having age-appropriate conversations around quality nutrition when they even want to go out and play and have fun with their friends. And then to tie that back to this whole why girls drop out of sports, so I imagine that if you're not feeling well and not eating, you're going to start dropping out of these activities that maybe you do enjoy, but you just feel like you can't participate. Is that kind of how that energetic injury ties in? Yeah, and that that can certainly, because it can uh, increase risk of injury, mm-hmm. so with that overall fatigue, and if you imagine, you're, you're, you're working really, really hard, but your reserve tank is low. Mm-hmm. You're just, you're, you're not on as much, and you become susceptible to injury. Um, there's even some suggestion that this might be part and parcel of those non-impact ACL injuries, is that if you're trying to do quality technical execution of particular skills or carrying out tactics, and, and you're just not as engaged in thought if you're not having that kind of reserve, you can set yourself up for injury as, as well, mm-hmm. uh, let alone over the longer term, we start to see if the, the, the chronic or more uh, persistent effects with lack of estrogen mm-hmm. that comes with that, what starts happening to growing bones? And with young growing bones, if those energetic insults are happening during those precious growth and development years, she might not reach her peak polygal mass. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that isn't necessarily an injury in the sense of, let's say, a broken bone. But if we are interfering with the peak potential, then we fast forward into her life when she might then be at earlier risk for osteoporosis. Other phenomena that happen with these weakened bones are stress fractures. And that might not be as apparent in ringette, uh, but in other weight-bearing activities, such as any type of running, uh, running sports, whether they're team or individual whether it's in some of the aesthetic sports where they're being judged for performance such as diving and gymnastics, um, and some of the weight class sports, which are much more predisposed to tinkering with their energy intake, these have uh, well-documented stress fractures um, and, and sometimes fractures that can become the reason they have to leave sport altogether. And so that third, ener- uh, third injury uh, title I'd call it either a psychosocial injury, uh, more fondly called an injury of the heart, which the literature tells us is a little bit differently, mm-hmm. uh, different compared to boys. Not so much a, a heart attack, but 
um, when someone's feelings get wounded, when one feels that they are not welcome. You know me, Robin. I'm, yeah. I'm primarily an exercise physiologist. Yeah. When I start dancing in the social science area, yeah. um, I want to own that I'm not a super right. uh, big expert in it. But what I've read and, and learned over time is the way they describe differences in approach to sport or competitive activities between mm -hmm. boys and girls. There's one phrase um, I believe you used, and it goes something like, for boys to be accepted on their team, they need to play well, but in order for girls to play well, they need to be accepted on their team first. Yeah. Do you kind of elaborate on what that means? Yeah. Boys, you're right. It becomes uh, effort first, uh, which leads to their performance, whether it's high, medium, or low, and then that performance leads to the acceptance piece that you've described. Mm -hmm. When we look at that from a girl's perspective, it's, it's a bit flipped. And you're right, the first thing that needs to happen there is acceptance. She needs to feel that she is valued and welcomed, and her contributions matter. And environments that can manage that, so to make every single participant feel welcomed and valued, that acceptance is going to lead to incredible effort, unstoppable effort. And then that effort will lead to the performance of high movement involved. And many times when, when I first start talking to coaches about that, they, there's this odd reaction of, well, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure. What does acceptance look like? And I assure them, you know, it's not about rolling out red carpets, throwing dried rose petals and, you know, blowing kisses and that type of piece. It really is about acknowledging each and every individual. Because every person that comes into sport is not always going to be that high-performance superstar, not going to be wearing the, the red and white for Canada. And if we really believe in engaging sport for the duration, for the long haul, and all of the riches that that will bring, the way in which we manage our sporting environment must take that into account is how do we how do we acknowledge each individual honor their contributions and make them feel that they belong there that, that sense of belonging is i think more important than people realize or people who didn't grow up in girl sport may not realize it i know that 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 sense of belonging um and this bears itself out in in other uh pockets of literature whether it's in academia whether it's in business is that many times when we think about sense of belonging, it can be categorized as one of these soft, right. soft skills, as opposed to thinking back to purely a technical execution of a skill. And so it's much easier to assess somebody's technical execution of a skill to assess sense of belonging. I mean, how do you put a how do you put a thermometer, you know? into right. a team locker room on, hmm, I wonder what the sense of belonging is right. in this group, as opposed to you could watch them skate and, and perform all kinds of skills, you mm -hmm. can get a much better grasp of what their ability to execute skills. And I think that becomes a conundrum that we will often shun or devalue some of those, so what, that, what are called yeah. soft skills. Right. And what we're learning right now, actually, through these other bu uh, buckets of literature, is that it's the loss of sense of belonging in community that we have 
we've become so accelerated in our society around getting things done mm -hmm. through all the technical side of things that we have lost a bit of our humanity so to speak, right. along the way. And you're right, with girls in particular, if they're coming to a sport environment and the only thing that is recognized and valued is their ability to skate and, and perform skills, mm -hmm. that will be a short-lived lifespan for them, for sure. Right. And then as we head towards the end here, why does all this matter? Like, why is it so important that we keep girls in sport? And as much as I want to say they should play a ringette forever, um, <laughs> it is also important that they play whatever sport they enjoy. So why is it so important that girls are in sport? I would say, um, I would preface that with, with quality sport. And uh, we have some issues right now, with, in particular in youth sport, where I, uh, unfortunately quality is not present. Mm -hmm. It's a bit adult-oriented, sort of focusing more on competition and excellence when it's uh, not developmentally appropriate. Mm -hmm. And for girls in particular, there are, there are incredible positive outcomes that will be present within her entire life if she has been fortunate enough to be part of a quality sport experience. So pieces around, uh, which we understand from the literature, quality sport not only will she be willing to participate in one sport, but in general, her overall physical activity engagement is higher. She'll be much better to uh, she, uh, level of awareness about her own body composition and be able to manage it. She'll be more likely to finish higher levels of, of education, college, university. Her job opportunities open up uh, to a much greater degree from a mental health point of view, which is really quite topical right now, girls and women that are involved in quality sports, much lower rates of depression, mental health issues, um, reduced addictions or risky behaviors, and less suicide as well. So these are, and these aren't just kind of good feeling kinds of outcomes. These have been so well documented. So I often encourage coaches to think about the incredible impact they have in this young girl's life or this young woman's life. Uh, it's a bit of like a lifetime inoculation mm -hmm. that they might only be in her life for a certain number of months or years, but it can provide lifelong death. Thank you very much for your time today and spending that with us. And we will share more resources and more information as we get that. Thank you very much. Thanks, Robin. That was great. It is Monday, November 19th, and here is your Ringette Roundup. It's been a busy few weeks in the Nash Ringette League, and there's still more to come. BC Thunder will be in the Edmonton area this weekend. They will play Edmonton Wham on Friday at 7.45 p.m. at the Terwilliger Recreation Center in Edmonton. And they will play Saturday evening at 7.15 p.m. again at Terwilliger Rec Center. These games are being held in conjunction with the Wood Tournament happening in Edmonton, which features U14, U16, and U19 AA competition. BC will also play Black Gold Rush when they are here this weekend. They play Saturday morning at 10.15 a.m. in the Downtown Community Center and Sunday morning at 10.45 a.m. at the Grant Fuhr Arena in Spruce Grove. Calgary Wrath is off for the next few weeks. They just returned home from playing three games in Winnipeg against the Manitoba Intact, and Calgary won all three of those games. In other news, the Jingle Ring is happening November 23rd to 25th. That tournament is hosted by Calgary Bowview and hosts a wide variety of age groups. November 30th to December 2nd will prove to be a busy weekend as well with tournaments happening in Indus, Fort Saskatchewan, and Medicine Hat.
Team Alberta is in Calgary that weekend as well, so keep an eye on our social media pages for exhibition game times. Good luck to all teams. You can always find tournament info by going to ringoutalberta.com tournaments. Let's Talk Ringette is produced by Ring Up Alberta and created using Anchor.fm. I'm your host and producer, Robin Gillespie. Sharon handles all our social media. Special thanks again to today's guest, Dr. Vicki Harbour. Keep your eyes on our website and social media for new resources and info about injuries, nutrition, and female athletes. If you have questions or comments regarding something you heard today, or you'd like to suggest a topic for a future episode, send me an email to robin at ringettealberta.com. Want to get an update every time a new episode is published? Head over to ringettealberta.com slash letstalkringette and fill out the form. You'll get an emailed link every time a new episode is available that you can share with your family and friends. Contact information, new episodes, policies, and news can all be found at ringettealberta.com. Until next time, see you around the rinks. <laughs>